0: Alright, well, uh, if you can grab your Bibles and uh, grab them and head on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're almost done with chapter 12. We will finish 12 next week. At least that's the plan. Um, but uh, here we have this morning a text that just kind of further unpacks this idea of the church as the body of Christ. And uh, Paul gives some, some extended treatment to that metaphor as he um, walks through and is trying to communicate what it is that he wants you and I to think about. And, And really the overarching argument that he's been making throughout 12 is that there's not a hierarchy of spiritual gifts or spiritual people. And, and that, that's something that we just need to keep in mind. We need to keep reminding ourselves of, uh, because I think there's been a, a lot of instances and, and time in the church, perhaps this church, not quite sure, perhaps other churches, maybe a little bit more sure, where depending on the gift, there's a little bit more thought of that person, or a little bit less thought of of that person and the overarching argument in chapter 12 is there's not a hierarchy that, that the gift list is flat If you will. So it's very unlike corporate America in that sense. There's not (laughs) different positions that are considered more important than others. There's not different gifts considered more important than others. And really, the big idea for this morning, and if we were just able to grab this and and, and not lose it and think about it, um, it would be really helpful, not just for our consideration of spiritual gifts, but for life. The big idea is this. Your role does not determine your value. That's a significant big idea. It has application in the church in regards to spiritual gifts. It has application in the home. Just think about, just for a moment here, marriage. Your role does not determine your value. God has given men certain roles. He's given women certain roles. Those roles are not the same. But it does not mean that there is a different value that men have as opposed to women. Men are not more valuable than women. Children are not less valuable than parents. Your role does not determine value. I think this big idea also has some application into just even how we think about the lives of the unborn. Their role does not determine their value. And you think about some of the main reasons cited for getting abortions. It's, it's convenience. That it just wasn't the right time for me to have a baby. That it could be, could be a little bit difficult. And whatever the aspects are, your role does not determine your value. Their role does not determine their value. They have a value outside of what they're going to contribute to the family. And let's just be honest, if you've had any kids, they, it takes them years before they contribute anything. For the first couple, they're all taking. Their role does not determine their value. And so the same thing is applied in how we think about ourselves as the body of Christ. We've been given different gifts. There are different places that we're going to use those different gifts. There are different results that happen as we use Those different gifts in those different places, but it is the same God who's empowering all of them. Our role, your role, does not determine your value. And so I just want to I just want to highlight the sovereignty of God here for a moment and just remind ourselves of some of the verbs that have been used to describe spiritual gifts. Through chapter 12, at this point, and they are the following God empowers. A manifestation of the Spirit is given, the Spirit apportions and empowers. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. God arranged the members of the body as He chose, God so composed the body. God has Appointed. You can just work yourselves down that list and see the sovereignty of God on display as we think about the differences that exist within the body of Christ. The very fact that He uses the metaphor, a body, is significant because of the word picture, or just the picture that it gives us as we think about. One another, And it's that picture that's going to get further unpacked here today. So just a brief recap of where we've been over the last several weeks. We started this series in chapter 12 or this, this look through chapter 12 thinking about the, the, the fact that spiritual gifts are distinct from signs and wonders. There's some similarities but there's distinction. I like to describe them this way. They're like my biological children. There are similarities between my biological children, but there's distinction between my biological children. Their similarities come from the fact that they have the same source, Carrie and I. Their distinctions come from the fact that their own little DNA code has worked itself out in their bodies uniquely. There's certainly similarities between the two of them, or the three of them, but they are not the same people. There are similarities between spiritual gifts and signs and wonders, but they are not the same. Spiritual gifts have continued on. Those are for the church today, and I would contend all of them are for the church today, but signs and wonders ceased with the apostles. Spiritual gifts are given for disciple-making, for building up of the body, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. We've been called to do that. Jesus gave us the commission to go and make disciples. Paul uses the phrase, the language of building to describe that process. It's the same idea. We've been commanded to build up the body. We have been called to build up the body. And then we now have been gifted to build up the body. God gifts us for what he calls us. In week three, we thought about the question, who do we follow? What type, of, what, what type of criteria do we have in play as we consider who we should listen to, what writers we should read? And the scriptures give us some helpful indicators about who to listen to and not. There's, there's a lot of deception as it relates to spiritual gifts. We're told that in the scriptures that there would be and it will increase so we got to think through who do we follow in week four we thought through the variety that exists that there is sovereignty over the distinction of gifts that exist there's unity within all of the gifts that are used and there is purpose within all of them as well. We then ch- charted our way through verses 8 to 10 to define the gifts, and last week thought through what is the baptism in the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. If you didn't grab them, the bonus notes sheet for you is back on the foyer table, and you can still grab a copy. And that takes a lot of what we looked at last week and does a little bit of a deeper dive into it. But as we continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the big idea that we need to not miss is that your role does not determine your value. Your role does not determine your value. And here's what we're going to see in the text this morning. We are going to see this play out in two very specific four instances, two hypothetical situations that get described to us and so underneath that big idea there's two main sub ideas that emerge and they are this, that we must not devalue ourselves and secondly we must not devalue others and so one of the things that I always try to keep in mind as we open God's word as I do so personally or we do so collectively is that when the scriptures tell me to do something I'm probably prone to do the opposite and when the scriptures tell me not to do something I'm probably prone to do the opposite and so you might find some tendencies in here as we just think about those two sub ideas as they play themselves out in our text this morning that you might find yourself thinking oh little me what do I have to offer and to that Paul's going to say, do not devalue yourself. Or you might find yourself on the other side of the spectrum thinking, how about the fact that I've been given to the church? How great is it that I'm here? And you invariably devalue others because you have an overinflated view of yourself. So on one hand, we need to not have an underinflated view view of ourselves and then on the other hand we need to not have an overinflated view of ourselves that's what we're going to see emerge out of the text here this morning your role does not determine your value we need to not devalue ourselves and we should not devalue others so before we go any further let's pray and then we'll hop into the text here together God, we come now and we just ask that you would help us to understand these these big ideas that we would be able to be able to get our minds wrapped around this metaphor that you've used to describe your church. God, we'd let the the, the teaching that you give us, the instruction that you give us, change the way we think? God, if there's anyone here this morning that that has, has long thought they have nothing to contribute, God, would you change their minds? God, if there's those here that that have an overinflated view of themselves, would you humble? God, help us to, to not just understand these things with our minds as, as just concepts to get. But God, help us to, to live these things out. To treat one another in the way that you would have us to treat one another, to celebrate one another. God, oftentimes, as we see in just about every area of life, where there are distinctions, we are prone to division. But here in the church, you want us to honor distinctions, to celebrate distinctions, and fight for unity. So God, help us to do that. We pray so in Jesus' good name. Amen. Well, let's go to verse 14 together here and read what Paul has to say. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ears should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So in verses 4, 5, and 6, Paul tells us that there are distinctions given. There's, there's different gifts. And we thought through that that week and thought through the fact that there is sovereignty over The gifts there's unity within the gifts there's there's different places the gifts are used but it's the same Lord and there's purpose of the gifts to each has been given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And here we have this idea of a body being further unpacked for us as to how we're to understand the unity that exists with distinction. And so in verse 14, Paul begins with the word for. That's signaling to us an explanation is coming. In verses 12 and 13, he starts each of those with the word for as well. It's just a continuing thought that's working its way through. And what he began to say in verse 4 is that there's distinct gifts given. And then he says in verse 12, after outlining those gifts, we're members of the body. We are individual parts, but we're members of the body. In verse 13, he walks through how we actually become members of the body. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. And now in verse 14... He's going to further unpack what this body is, how this body should function. And it's in verse 13, right before, that he goes on to be specific enough to say, Look, ethnicity doesn't matter. It's one body. Social status does not matter. It's one body. And this was important because this church in Corinth had done a really good job Of dividing themselves. Think back to chapter 1. I know it's been months since we've been to chapter 1. But they found themselves dividing themselves based on what leader they liked better. Some said, I follow Paul. Others said, I follow Peter. Others said, I follow Apollos. Some really, really super spiritual guy in the back row was like, well, I just follow Jesus. All right, you can kind of hear that guy show up in that conversation. And, and Paul's just saying, look, no, the, the body's not divided. The body's not divided. So this church had done a great job dividing themselves. And that was the culture of Corinth, where ethnicity would have mattered. Social status would have mattered. And that's part of why Paul in the second half of chapter 1 says, look, God didn't choose you because you had a good family name. He didn't choose you because you had good worldly wisdom or you had the right social status or you were part of the right club no he actually chose you to work the opposite out he chose you because you're weak in order to shame the strong he chose you because you're foolish in order to shame the wise and so here he begins to then further unpack this idea of The body, And he does so by giving this hypothetical situation here. The idea in the first section is that we must not devalue ourselves. And so it's saying no to self-deprecation. So the hypothetical is this. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So the hypothetical is the fact that your feet can talk. And that your hands can listen. Well, neither one can't, but that's just his, he's he's implying and using this literary device to try try to help us understand his point. Similarly, in verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong, that would not make it any less a part of the body so in as we begin to move from observation to participation that phrase we've been trying to unpack and use as we understand what our gifts are and we begin to use them for the, the serving of the body for the building of the body for for the love and care for those in the body as we begin to move from observation to participation one of the things that we need to make sure that we do is focus on what gifts we have not focus on the gifts we don't have you've been given gifts and the gifts that you've been given or the gift that you've been given has not been given to you by accident you were given that gift or those gifts by God as he chose and the foot should not focus on the fact that it's not a hand The foot has a job. The foot has a gift. The foot has a role that's different than the hand, but the foot's not to focus on what it doesn't have. Continuing the hypothetical in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, it'd be a strange looking body, but where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? These concepts aren't difficult for us to unpack. They're perhaps a whole lot more difficult for us to live out, but not understand. And just think about your human body. And that's the reason that God has given this metaphor to his body. Because it's something we can all identify with. It's something that all of us have. We all have bodies. You're here in body. You can figure this out. We're not all the same in the body of Christ. Our human bodies are not all the same. And so there's similarity in how we're to think about these things. But go to verse 18. There he continues, As it is, God arranged the members or the parts in the body, each one of them as he chose. And so these distinctions that exist exist, within us and even in a universal sense within the body of Christ globally exists because God and his sovereignty chose for them to exist that way. As it is, God arranged the members. That word arranged means to lay in place. It's not used very many times in the scriptures, but there's some records of how it's used in secular Greek. And so here's some of the ways it's used in secular Greek. It is used to describe the laying of a foundation. So just think about how bricks get laid on your house. Or you can actually walk down this sidewalk and see part of the foundation for the church that's laid down. Because it's exposed there. And there's care and attention place to how each one of those parts fit together, each one of them different, but each one of them fitting together. This word arranged is used to describe voting. It's used to describe interring a body. It's used to describe paying taxes. It's used to describe depositing money. Well, what's common Amongst all of those ways this word used, this word arranged is used, is the fact that care and thought has gone into the action that's taking place. So when you're laying a foundation or you're building something, you put care and thought into how that is going to work. When you're voting, you Hopefully put care and thought to whom you are voting for. When you're interring a body, you've thought about where to dig the hole and how deep the hole should be dug. And what size of holes should be made. When you're paying taxes, you might just be angry. But you need to be putting care and attention to that process. When you're depositing money in the bank, the same thing would be true. It's care and attention. And that's the the idea that we have in this verse, verse 18, that God has, with care and attention, arranged us. It's really not anything different than what he said in verse 4. There's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all with care and attention. God has gifted us in different ways. God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them. Nobody is excluded and he has done so as he chose. Just according to his desire, his purpose. And so in verse 19, there's just unpacking again the point. It's, it's not any different than what he's already said, if all were a single member, where would the body be? Okay, it's a little bit of a twist on what he said in 17. If all were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? If all were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Here he goes a step further to say, look, if everybody was the same, you actually wouldn't have a body. As it is, there are many parts or members, but one body. So your role does not determine your value. The big idea is to not devalue yourselves. You say no to self-deprecation. And in the best way possible, it's you turning to those around you and saying, you need me. Not because you have an overinflated view of yourself. It's because you have an understanding that, that God's gifted you in a very specific way for the benefit of someone else. And that other person needs you. They need you here. They need you using your gifts. They need you loving and caring and serving and building because that's how God's composed the body. In the best way possible, it's you saying, you need me. You need me. So there are zero seminary Bible college requirements for using your spiritual gift. You don't have to go to a special school. You don't have to have degrees that hang on the walls. There's zero requirements for education for using your spiritual gift. There's zero age requirements for using your spiritual gift gift. So there should not be a single person in this room that says, I'm too old to use my gift. Or I don't have enough education to use my gift. There should be no one in this room that says, I'm too young to use my gift. Because all of those would be examples of devaluing yourself. Now, the use of your gift as a fifth grader will maybe look a little bit different than the use of someone's gift as a 45 or a 50 year old. But hey, there's different gifts given. There's different places those gifts are used and there's different results that happen. But all of that is because of God's sovereignty and His arrangement. And the use of your gift now as a fifth grader or a sixth grader or a high school student might look different than your use of that same gift perhaps as an adult. Don't devalue yourself. Don't sell yourself short because somehow you've gotten it in your mind that I need, I need something that I don't have. To each has been given, it's already happened, a manifestation of the Spirit. Don't devalue yourself. And so when we come together, we need to be specifically praying about who we can encourage. Who we can build up. Who we can love on. Who we can support. And whatever that might look like. In a room like this, and in a church like ours, it's going to look unique regarding every single person that's here. But we don't come. We don't engage. We don't interact Without first thinking through, okay, how's God going to use me today to impact the life of somebody else? We're called to build, we're gifted to build. This is part of why, parents, I told you a couple weeks ago that the very first question that we ask our kids when we're driving home today or we're unpacking what happened on Wednesday night at youth group is not, did you have fun Did you get to encourage somebody? Did you get to serve someone? Did you get to use your gifts? Who encouraged you? Who loved on you? Who prayed for you? Who built you up? It's not that fun's wrong. It's just not the sum total. So I got a call Friday from um, a woman who is just a dear friend. Her husband was a college professor of mine, a mentor. You, some of you will know her as Jenny Plaster. She was uh, the daughter of a former pastor here. She lived in the Parsonage. So there's just a lot of ways our lives overlap together. And her sister lives up at uh, Quincy and uh, her name is Roberta Devin and uh, her husband Jim lives up there as well and Jenny called to say uh, is there anybody in your church that can take my sister to Walmart? She just needs to get out. It's been since June since she's gotten to Walmart. She just needs somebody to take her there so that she can buy a couple things but, but she really would like to be given the choice about what she is able to buy and so Jenny... we're Roberta wants to be in the aisle when picking her toothpaste, presumably. I mean, if that's the item, I'm not sure what the item is. But, you know, if it's a box of cereal, there's hundreds of choices. It's just, Roberta would like some, some little freedom. And Jenny was asking, do you, do you know anybody? I said, you know what? Here, here's what I do know. I know that Joyce knows a lot of people, so I'm going to talk to Joyce on Monday. But we're right now in the midst of a sermon series on spiritual gifts. And this is a great point of application for us. And so I just want to put that out there. And I've been I prayed on Friday with Jenny on the phone that that God would be prompting somebody even between then and now to think about what that might look like. And so if you have some flexibility in your week, perhaps it's just one afternoon. And I I don't even think it's a weekly thing. I'm not sure all of those details. We've got to... Figure out some of those things. But if you've got some of that flexibility, come and find me. We just have a dear woman who's one of our shut-ins who just needs to go to Walmart and have the opportunity to pick out what kind of toothpaste she wants. It's an opportunity to serve. Some of you have been gifted that way. Some of you have been gifted to shepherd and those kind of things just excite you. They get you out of bed in the morning. You just live to be involved in relationships and just love on people. That ministry looks different than other ministries. The results of that ministry or that that opportunity to serve is certainly going to look different than other ones, but don't devalue it. and Don't devalue the gift you've been given by God that could be used in that way. Your role does not determine your value. Don't devalue yourself. Well In verse 21, the idea changes, but the metaphor stays the same. Here's the big idea of verse 21 and following, "We must not devalue others." And so this is saying no to self-exaltation. If the first tendency is to think too low of ourselves and we need to not be the ones that say I have nothing to offer because I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm not whatever you want to put in that blank. The opposite tendency is to think that we're too awesome. And we got we to let God's word pull our self-inflated views back a little bit. We must not devalue Others And so you still have talking body parts in verse 21. Let's see what they have to say. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see where the devaluing comes from? The eye doesn't get to say, hey, we we got this whole thing figured out. We don't need you. The head doesn't get to say that to the feet. On the contrary, the parts or the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That word weaker, it's it's a subjective conclusion that's been made. The word weaker is, is to have limitation or relative ineffectiveness. So here's what Paul's saying. The parts of the body that you have concluded... Aren't as necessary, are actually indispensable. That word indispensable literally being necessary for meeting the need. They're not just useful. It's not that they just have like they, they don't just have a, a, a part to play. Something's not gonna work right if they're not being used. So you and I don't get to look out amongst ourselves and go, I got this. Nah, they're not so needed. Their gifts, nah, they may not look like mine. It's okay if they're not serving. The weaker are not weaker, they're indispensable. Maybe this will help you change the metaphor a little bit, but maybe unpack it a little bit as well. In thinking about this power cord for my iPad, there's not a lot of flash here. There's nothing terribly spectacular about what happens here. This cord does not take a single picture. There is no touch screen functionality here that you can press to open an app. This cord is not going to send an email. It is not going to help me win my fantasy football games today. In comparison to this device, we might be tempted to think, Oh, the cord's not that needed. Until I run out of power. And the cord reminds me that it's actually indispensable. Sure, it has a different function. It's not, it's, you're not going to touch this and open up an app. You're not taking slow motion videos to put on Facebook with this about your kids doing something crazy. But it's indispensable. And even though it has a different role, And even though that role might seem a little less flashy or a little less spectacular, it's necessary. That's the idea here. And so the parts that are weaker are actually indispensable. Verse 23, those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor to. And here in all three of these statements Paul's going to make, the idea is this word greater. It's this over and above, almost upside down way of understanding this body. And so the parts that we think don't really have quite a lot to contribute, they're weaker. They're actually much more needed than we would ever think on our own. The parts that seem to be a little less honorable, we actually find ways to give greater honor to that word greater meaning just beyond the standard of abundance. So we can be tempted to think that that part or that person, maybe they've got a background, maybe they've got whatever it might be. There's a little less there. Maybe, maybe we'll let them do you know, whatever it might be, but we give greater honor. Thirdly, he says this in the second half of verse 23. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. If you're wondering if he's talking about those parts, he's talking about those parts. There's modesty given. The idea is greater. The kingdom of God, once again... It's upside down. It's backwards. So where we're naturally inclined to think one way, God says, no, think the other. And so in verse 24, we are told that our presentable parts don't require the greater modesty, which all of us have put into practice this morning as we got dressed. But the unpresentable parts do. And so we just show greater modesty. Second half of verse 24, God has composed the body. That word composed means to blend or unite. Think about it this way. His composition of the body, his uniting of the body, his blending of the body is like a tossed salad blending. It is not like a smoothie blending. There's two different ways you can blend things. You can put everything in the mixer or your magic bullet you can hit puree, and everything comes out looking the same. Or you can have a tossed salad, where you can still identify the different parts. You can still take your fork at one point, and I'd like a crouton for this bite. But there's, there's distinction working in harmony. And you don't have a tossed salad. You don't have a chef salad. It's one of my favorite things to eat for lunch. You don't have a chef salad if the entire bowl is croutons. You have a bowl of croutons. You don't have a chef salad if your entire bowl is full of spinach. You eat that enough, you're going to have muscles like Popeye, but you don't have a chef salad. But when those things are blended together and their distinctions are allowed to exist within unity, then you have something. And that's how God's composed us. That's how God blends us. He doesn't stick us all in a blender, hip puree, so that we all come out looking the same. He wants distinction to exist. He's arranged for distinction to exist. He's chosen. He's composed. He's given gifts that are different so that distinction would exist. And we have to be really careful to not devalue others. And so some of the implications of that, God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That, and here's the purpose clause that emerges out of all of this, no division would be in the body. This church, they're really good. Quite frankly, like a lot of churches, if not all churches are, really good at dividing themselves. But God has done this. He has given distinction so that there actually would be no division. So that the members would have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one is honored, all suffer rejoice we're not prone to jealousy we're not prone to pride and exaltation we weep with those who weep we rejoice with those who rejoice it's all a part of god's design and it's something that we got to fight for because what's natural is the very opposite what's natural is to think that i don't really have much to contribute or that i have everything to contribute And so if the first way that we were to protect ourselves or the body in upholding these distinctions is not devaluing ourselves, saying no to self-deprecation in the very best way possible. We said, look, it's you turning to the others around you and saying, you need me. Here, we're not to devalue others, say no to self-exaltation. It's you and I looking around saying, I need you. That I'm not going to be built if you're not loving and serving and encouraging and building. So, when we come together, one of the questions is then who can you be encouraged by? The first question was who can you encourage? This one is who can you be encouraged by? Who can you be built by? See, we've been called to build. We've been gifted to build. And when we, when we gather and when we do things with one another, again, wh- whether it's just here locally, whether it's universally, and these things apply in both places, we need to be coming with a focus of loving and building and encouraging and have others on our minds, But we equally need to come with a focus that God wants to use them in our lives to do those very same things. So your role does not determine your value. And we need to be careful to not devalue others. So we don't say you're too young to do that. Or you're too old to do that. Or you don't have the right education to do that. The pastor doesn't have to pray every time he comes over to your house for stuff. You get to talk to Jesus just like I do. I don't have any special access granted to me that you don't as a believer. So we don't devalue others. See, I need you. You need me. That's the way we've been. The eye needs the ears, and the ear needs the nose, and the hands need the feet, and the head needs... See, I'm not going to be the same if you're not here. I'll miss out on something that God has for me if you don't come with the focus of building. And the same is exactly true for you. See, the body of Christ has distinctions within it. Because God has designed it that way. He's arranged it that way. He's composed it to be that way. Just like your human bodies. And he's done so, so that we might be a mutually giving and receiving group. That we might be a mutually blessing and receiving or being blessed group that we might be a mutually building and being built group that we might be a mutually loving and being loved group and this is what jesus said to his disciples this idea of love that will mark us as distinct and they will know you are christians by your love for one another See, God's gifted us to do this. He's gifted us to love and serve the body. As we move from observation to participation, not downplaying what he has given us, regardless of how different it might look, and not over-inflating what he has given to us, regardless of how different it looks. Because he's called us to love and to build. and He's gifted us to do that. Let's pray. Well, God, we pray that you'd help us to do that, that your gifting spirit, your spirit that gives us these manifestations, these gifts, would also empower and help us to obey. God, help us to see areas in our lives where we may be prone to devaluing others, God help us to see areas in our lives if we have an overinflated view of ourselves. God, may we be a, a group that, that celebrates the, the blend as a as a tossed salad is blended and celebrates what you have done in arranging us. And composing us just as you wanted. And we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.